Welcome to Approaching Infinity, where we focus on the latest in finance, technology, and innovation. We present you with interesting and unique stories, news, and interviews to help you understand your limits and how to exceed them. Now, here's your host, Justin Rutnerine. Welcome back to Approaching Infinity, the show refocused on all things finance, innovation, and technology. Today, I am pleased to introduce Mr. David Kim. He's a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and former field artillery officer who served in the U.S. Army. Afterwards, he went on to receive his MBA from Harvard Business School, and later on down the road, he became a partner and co-head of investor relations at Apex Partners, one of the largest private equity firms with over $65 billion in assets under management, and who recently retired from the role. So congratulations on that. Finally, Mr. Kim is the co-founder and CEO of the Children of Fallen Patriots Foundation, whose mission it is to provide college scholarships and educational counseling to military children who've lost a parent in the line of duty. So far, the foundation has provided over 3,000 scholarships, totaling over $70 million of aid. Mr. Kim, welcome to the show. Anything I missed? Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Awesome. No, um, I was prefacing this before, but a previous guest came on the show, um, Mr. Rathjen, and he introduced me. Uh, he told me about Mr. Kim's work, what he's been doing with the foundation and his history. And I thought he'd be a great guest for the audience, considering his time in banking and his um, efforts with the foundation. So if you don't mind, we can start off with just a little bit of the hero's journey. So what made you first want to... Uh, go into West Point and become a commissioned officer. And then we'll go into time uh, after that. I'm not sure I qualify as a hero's journey, but uh, happy to talk about my my career. Um, I grew up in, in Virginia. My family had served in various wars. My dad's a Korean War veteran. Um, going back, you know, in some of the prior generations to the Civil War and the Revolution. So I think military service was in our blood, so to speak. No career officers, but but everyone had done their part during various wars. And then secondly, is just a sense of patriotism. You know, my, my mm -hmm. dad was an immigrant to this country. And so we have a heightened appreciation for all the opportunities that America offers people. And, and that rests on the foundation of the armed forces. And so that was a big reason why I wanted to serve as well. And then thirdly, we come from very modest circumstances. Not sure I could have paid for college. Uh, my parents sure couldn't have. And so that was also another factor is a great way to get a, a tremendous college education uh, on a full scholarship. Well, excellently summarized. And I, I agree with that. And then uh, just as you transitioned out um, from the U.S. Army, what uh, could you detail your time a little bit? Uh, what was that transition like? It was easy, hard or some lessons learned from it that maybe some other transitioning veterans could take away? Yeah, so I transitioned out and went to uh, business school to get an MBA. And so that did make my transition uh, much easier because I was able to have a couple of years to, to really learn about the business world. My, neither of my parents came from the business world. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a journalist. So I really didn't know anything about it. And so that was a great learning opportunity for me, but it gives you the time and space to reset your career and figure out what you really want to do long term. So that was a, a great move. And I, I really encourage that for people coming out of the military to consider strongly getting 
an MBA despite the cost, because if you're able to get into a good MBA program, you're going to make back, it's going to be a very good ROI very quickly. I did have an opportunity to go to work for a few months while I was waiting, I'd already been accepted, but uh, while I was waiting to, uh, to go to business school in a manufacturing job, it was one of those classic deals where, you know, as a military person, you get recruited by these operations or selling uh, roles. And so that was a good instruction in terms of what I did not want to do because I felt like it was going to be too <laughs> career limited. And so I just always, uh, always uh, reinforce to folks. I just encourage them to really find a space where you can take your time and really look at a number of different opportunities because you don't know what you don't know when you come out of the military. And Excellent. rather than just picking a track and jumping into it, uh, you know, I, I think it's a little bit better to be patient, take your time, look around, get a sense of firsthand feel for what different career opportunities actually are like versus what they seem like on paper or what other people tell you. Oh, well summarized. I agree with um, the fact that once you're transitioning out, there's a, uh, a whole myriad of options available to you. And the MBA is definitely one of the best routes. And on that note of um, kind of figuring out what to do, did you... You know, did you know what you were passionate about or what you wanted to do uh, you know, once you entered Harvard Business School and once leaving? Or was that something that's developed over time and transitioned? No, when I showed up here, I, I had no idea. Uh, I, like, as I said, I didn't really know much about the world of business. And so I just walked around to my classmates and, you know, uh, what's, what did you do? Okay, what's management consulting? What's investment banking? What's, what's a hedge fund? Uh, so forth. What's wealth management? So that's what I did. And I just took my time and really zeroed in on private equity. And that's, uh, was my focus. That's where I did my internship in a venture capital firm between business school years and then full-time after business school into private equity. So it really, that process gave me the, uh, ability to narrow down and focus in on private equity. Excellent. And I noticed too, you, um, uh, you had a firm Butler capital. Um, which you in fact started, what was the, uh, the rationale and reasoning behind that and what did it help you learn? Why did I start there? Was that the question? Yes. More or less like, uh, Butler capital. Mm -hmm. All right. It, to my yeah. understanding, it's a firm yeah, you started. Capital was my first yeah. job after, after business schools, a middle market, private, private equity fund did a lot of manufacturing and distribution. And so. You know, there weren't a whole ton of those firms even in existence in 1994. The private equity industry was very young. Uh, KKR, mm -hmm. which is just enormous now, back in 94, I think their fund was, their main buyout fund was like $1.3 billion. So that, that gives you a sense, right, versus where they are now, which is probably pushing 30, plus they have lots of other funds and hundreds of billions of dollars under management. So. It was a very small industry, and so I was delighted to be able to get an opportunity. Butler Capital is a great, great place, had a great reputation, and uh, I'm still very close with the folks that I worked with. In fact, my uh, my boss at Butler Capital is a good friend and still on the board at Fallen Patriots. And so, you know, all wow. these years later, we've remained close. It was a very good learning experience. Wow, that is great to hear. And um, to continue on that point. Uh, for veterans who'd want to uh, get into venture capital or private equity when they're just starting out or whomever, do you have any um, good takeaways besides, I, I know you mentioned already uh, speaking to your friends at business school or uh, other consultants, but any other advice you'd give to uh, 
people who want to break into private equity, to venture capital, who are just starting out. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. Um, yeah. So I would, uh, a couple of different things. Number one is I'd really work your connections. I, I was terrible at networking with other military folks. I think maybe a lot of military folks feel bashful about it, or they feel like it's too transactional or, you know, somehow feel like it would be improper, but actually it's really important to try to work your angles as much as you can and, and really learn about that world. So really tap into your contacts and, and be very knowledgeable when you are making your outreaches. Number one, number two, you're going to have to just do a lot of old fashioned um, cold calling and, and, beating the bushes really hard because the the standard model is you go to uh, harvard you do two years at goldman sachs then you go to a private equity firm and then maybe you go to b school maybe you don't you know and when most big private equity funds are interviewing people you know the military folks don't fit that model and so it's going to be tough to break through that so as a result of that i'd probably focus on the smaller private equity shops that are more perhaps inclined to think out of the box and give an, an unconventional candidate a chance versus the, you know, the big bulge bracket private equity firms, they just kind of have a cookie cutter. It's going to be really hard to break in there. Oh, very well outlined. I like how you outlined the entire process and you're very upfront about it. And I agree. Um, Breaking would be hard, but at least you gave a viable path to those uh, who want to seek roles like that. And on that note, too, I want to transition into your uh, your time at Apex Partners, kind of where you began, where you started up, how you found your role there, and uh, kind of just how you balanced it all. You know, what made you first get into Apex Partners? What did you do there, and what were you passionate about? Yeah, so I started in uh, Apex in two thousand and. Uh, or at that point, it was Saunders Carpenter Group, but it merged into APAX, and so effectively referred to it as a as uh, APAX. Uh, you know, Butler Capital, Gil Butler was retiring, so you know we all went to different spots, and uh, I I was really attracted to APAX because of the size. It was a very large global fund at that point. Number one, number two is international, so the uh, the business had really gotten big in the in the Europe and was looking to expand the buyout practice in the U.S. and that was a rationale for the merger with uh, Saunders Carpenter McGrew and so uh, that was an exciting opportunity to help grow a business but then also be a part of international firm and be able to look around the world and so as a result of that I think over the course of my career I've visited something like thirty countries between. Oh you know, uh, business and, and pleasure. And sometimes the two of those things were mixed. So that was really eye opening. And number three, it's got a great culture. It's not a shark tank, eat what you kill kind of place. Uh, it's a collegial culture, really smart people who really care about the good of the firm and, and work well together and work really hard and, and have a good time. So I, I really enjoyed the people and the culture. And that was true over my entire 23 years there at, uh, at Apex. Wow, excellently summarized. And then regarding investor relations, to my understanding, it's a, a relationship business. How do you build a reputation and a relationship? What are some tips over your career that you used maybe to uh, interact or get meet people you didn't necessarily or know at first? Or how did you develop good relationships um, and how did you sustain them? 
so to say, uh, based on your role? Well, first and foremost, I think it's just use the golden rule. Just treat people like you want to be treated. But that extends to a whole bunch of different ways, right? Where it's, um, I never viewed myself as selling something to somebody. I viewed it as trying to find a partnership and trying to find a win-win where we can both add value to each other. And there's that's a very important difference. Uh, you know, you, you don't come at things being transactional where the only time you speak to somebody is if you're calling them and you're asking them for money or you need something from them, right? You, you should be, it should be a two-way street. There should be a relationship there. You know, you should actually care about the person and getting to know them as a human being and not just the, you know, a business contact on the other end of the phone. Um, you should always be super straight. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm just not a person that's going to be sort of the high pressure Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, sale <laughs> person. You know, I'm going to tell you what I think and I'll be candid that no firm is perfect and there'll be some things that, you know, maybe others are better at. And I'll tell you that, but there are some things that, we're really the best at, and I'll tell you that too. And so if you do that over enough period of time, that builds up a huge amount of credibility. And, but more importantly, it's just important to maintain your own integrity. You know, it's, it's gotta be able to um, be straight with people and, and look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day. So I think those would be some of the, some of the main points. There's a lot of other stuff, you know, you have to be very process oriented, very, very disciplined about, about that. You have to, add value to your partners. You have to continue to move forward. You know, like sharks, they never sit still, right? They have to always be moving forward. And I think any business relationship is the same way. If you're sitting still, it's good. It's in danger of dying at the end of the day. Excellent. So there's, there's a lot of different mm -hmm. ideas. No, I, I appreciate the upfrontness, the, the honesty, you know, being honest, keeping your integrity, adding value, and not making everything a transaction actually, you know, if you've been asked, make sure there's a give. Eh, tips like those really go a long way. Thank you for sharing those. Um, I want to, to take a moment here and focus on your your other other work here. Like kind of during this time period, you also somehow founded the Children of Fallen Patriots Foundation. So that must have been quite a bit to balance. But first, uh, why don't we start off with, in your opinion, why did you start the foundation and what does the foundation do? Yeah, we, our mission is to provide college scholarships to military kids from all branches who lost a parent in the line of duty. And so that's, that's our mission. It's very simple, very focused. Yeah. It's, it's a big mission, but that's what we do. I started it really in honor of a soldier that I served with. His name was Sergeant Delaney Gibbs. We were in the same unit in Panama in 89 when we were deployed down there to remove Noriega from power. And unfortunately, Sergeant Gibbs was killed in combat a few days before Christmas and uh, he had a daughter due a few months later. So I didn't know him personally, but he was the only member of our unit who was killed. And so that was a tough one for all of us, especially given that he was leaving behind an unborn daughter. And so that thought just stuck with me all those years, who's going to take care of her. And that's where we came up with Fallen Patriots as a way to, to honor our fallen heroes, right? Um, I think right. when they're gone, what do you do for them? I think the best thing we could do is to give their kids the bright future they would have wanted for their children. And and uh, the education is the key to doing that. So that's why we did it. Now, that's excellently summarized. And that's, uh, that's truly a great cause to uh, stand behind. And then I noticed as well, uh, you know, 
to date, you know, this, what is it, 2023, over 20 years old, you know, $70 million in grants to aspiring scholars is truly something. And it's uh, it's one of those things that really leaves a legacy and impact. I'm sure other transitioning veterans, other other unfortunate children who've lost a parent in the line of duty, very appreciative of the work you and the foundation have done. And I thank you for doing something like that. I also want yeah, to, uh, to caveat... Not it. I, I want to understand while you were, uh, you know, also the CEO of the Children of uh, Fallen Patriots Foundation, you were also had your full time role at Apex Partners. How did you balance all of this? You know, how did you, uh, could you touch on that a bit? How did I balance it? Well, we, yeah. we just figured it out. You know, I, I think it's one of these things like Teddy Roosevelt said, where do what you can with what you have, where you are right now. And there's no perfect time to start to make a difference. And my wife and I come from nothing. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mother who worked three jobs and I had to find a way to put myself through college. And so, and I was, you know, massively in debt for after business school. And we had a couple of kids when we started Fallen Patriots and we didn't even own a home, you know, or a rented townhouse, but we just felt like, you know what, we could start doing what we can and, and, and build from there. And so you just keep pushing on the flywheel day in and day out. And eventually it starts to move and, and move a little faster. And so I, um, I think number one is just do what you can. Number two is that, you know, there's no silver bullet. Uh, there was a lot of late nights involved. I called it my 10 to midnight job. Uh, you know, go to work all day, private equity, come home, put the kids to bed and, then get back to work. Uh, a lot of weekend work. I don't have a bunch of other hobbies. I don't care about golf and et cetera. And so for me, this was my hobby and passion in a lot of ways. And so I, I, I also tell people when they call and ask for advice about starting these things, I said, you know, don't kid yourself. It's just, there's just a lot of hard work involved and there's no silver bullet. Um, but then number three, I always, you know, I always give God the credit. Um, you know, our faith is very important to us. And of course, Fallen Patriots is a, a secular organization, but we are inspired to do it in part because of our faith. And uh, it's amazing the different things that, that God's done with it. So that's the, that's the real secret sauce. No, uh, on that note too, uh, your personal motto, God, country, family, that's, uh, that's truly something. How did you come up with that? How does... It's just a manifestation of what you do. In the past, honestly, it was, uh, I think the thing that stuck out at me the most was American Sniper. I think he had talked about (laughs) a similar type of motto and was wrestling in his own story with the obligation to serve the country and and have a family. And in his case, because he was doing so much, it really took a huge toll on the family life. And so I... But that was that I think was probably where I sort of first heard it formulated in that way. And, and you know, coming from West Point, where our motto is duty, honor, country, uh, I just felt like, you know, God, country and family really encapsulates everything. Of course, work is important, but at the end of the day, that's never what's going to be on your tombstone. It's going to be, you know, whether you lived out your faith and whether you serve your country well and serve your family well, that's the most important thing. Try to be well said, and I uh, I agree. Um, 
on that note too, I, I, I do want to ask, um, just kind of wrapping it up here, where do you see yourself and where do you see the foundation? What's the, uh, the future look like? What are you going to continue to push for? Well, there is a need for our services to the tune of about $625 million in total. So that's com uh, composed of two parts. One is there's about 25,000 students over the last 30 plus years who've lost a parent in the line of duty. And then number two is they need about $25,000 per person for four years of college to graduate from school because there are some government programs, but it leaves a gap in funding that averages out to be 25,000. Some students, it's a lot less because they're going to community college. Others, it's a lot more, but the average is $25,000. So times 25,000 students, $625 million. So that is our goal is to fill that need. It's never been done before uh, in our country's history. And <clears throat> while it's a lot of money, it's not a huge amount of money in the grand scheme of things. Some charities raise multiples of that every year. And so we're just going to have to keep chipping away. And, and uh, that's my, my BHAG, if you will, big, hairy, audacious goal. You know, before I'm dirt, I would like to get that goal accomplished. And so that's our, that's our future. But like you said, we've grown because so many American patriots out there want to help these families. We're up to about $71 million in support to 3,000 scholars. And so we've made a meaningful dent in that total need. I think we'll be at north of $100 million in time for our uh, 25th anniversary, which will be uh, a pretty pretty great milestone to achieve. And we're just going to keep going until uh, until we get there. Oh, congratulations on all the work you and the foundation have done. That is quite a, uh, a goal to set. But if achieved, it, it will truly be one of the, uh, like you said, it will the first time in history and, and what it means for uh, the future. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate ahead, that. That would be, yeah, our, our services, you know, they, it's important to do because we want to honor our fallen. Uh, it's also nice to know that it does have a big impact on our students. So we did commission a social impact consulting firm to look at the return on investment on the scholarships that we give our students and it's a very high return on investments of 16 times so every dollar of scholarship we give lifts the lifetime earnings of our students by about 16 dollars. so that twenty-five thousand dollars is going to lift the lifetime earnings of about four hundred thousand dollars per student so it wow. you know it's doing the thing that we all want which is honoring their parents sacrifice but it's also lifting them up uh, and, and taking them to uh to a bright future, which is what their parents would have wanted for them. Regardless of topic that you would like to leave the audience, is there anything you have? Well, I'd say, you know, examine your faith. There are many different forms of faith. Mine is this most important part of my life. It's the key to mm -hmm. our marriage. I've been married for 26 years and we have four kids and everyone's been, been very Congratulations. blessed. And we've been able to have a, a great life. Yeah, thank you. But I, I credit faith for that. And so, um, you know, I, I'd encourage people to really think hard about that. And, you know, what role does faith play in their life and, and what, what should it play in their life? For me, that would be the, if I pointed to one thing, that would be it. Thanks. I said, Mr. Kim, if people wanted to reach out to you or to learn more about the foundation, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah. So our website is W, well, obviously fallenpatriots.org. 
is the website fallenpatriots.org and it's got everything on there's a lot of testimonials from our students there are a lot of different ways to get involved we have a a gala coming up in Greenwich Connecticut in November we have one in May in New York every year so uh, those are two really great ways to engage and uh, but we have people with companies that have foundations that have contributed or companies that do fundraisers with their employees so doesn't have to be in the Northeast. We've got we've got relationships all over the country. So really encourage people to reach out to us. Excellent. Mr. Kim, once again, thank you for joining us on the show. All right. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Approaching Infinity. Make sure to follow us to be notified of new episodes and feel free to reach out directly on LinkedIn at Justin Rupnarine, on Instagram at JRLive7 or Twitter at Justin underscore 777 underscore.